And a special welcome on the fourth Sunday of Advent. This is the Sunday where we kind of blow it out with the favorite Christmas hymns. And, uh, and I dress like a history professor. <laughs> a rich Christmas tradition. But we've been trying to uh, take some, some special time to look at passages that help us think about what we're celebrating at Christmas. And um, I've tried to remind us of this term, incarnation. Incarnation is sort of the grown-up word for God taking on flesh. That, that, uh, that God the Son and the Son of God took on flesh, remained God, remains God, but is man. And really was born as an actual, real, human, frail baby boy. And that's what we're celebrating at Christmas. So I want to look at this passage in Luke chapter 1. The first uh, chapters of Luke get a lot of airtime during Christmas, and I want to look at this part of Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. If you don't have uh, a Bible, you can follow in the bulletin, Luke 1, 39 through 55. I've, uh, I, if you've been around for a while, I, you'll have heard this story. I think I told this story about five years ago, and I try not to just tell the same stories, but I have to tell this story again. And, and let, let me say this too. I know that preachers and storytellers, sometimes they can you know, like adjust stories to their advantage and sort of overemphasize something or embellish. I'm telling you that what I'm about to tell you happened exactly the way I'm going to tell you. This would be over five years ago, and it was one of those weather systems where there were all these predictions that there was going to be a snow in Greenville. And you know how it is when you've lived in Greenville and you've been burned. If there's any city that can overhype weather, it is Greenville. And so, uh, yeah, especially children, they're wondering, is there going to be snow? Are we going to be able to, you know, is, is there going to be school? Are we going to get to play in the snow? And, you know, we're, we're in, on the weather maps, we're sort of right on the line. So, it, and it was also one of those times where you went to bed and it was supposed to happen over the night. So you went to bed not knowing, would you wake up and would it be snow or just, just rain? And, uh, and I think I was kind of doubtful. Well, that night, a beautiful snow fell in Greenville. I think at least four inches. Powder puff snow. And uh, Betsy, our, I asked her permission to tell this story again because she's a teenager now, but she cleared it. I woke, and Betsy was a little girl. Uh, she woke up first. She usually does. And I said, Betsy, it snowed. And she got out of bed, and she didn't look out her window. We had this big bay sort of window that faces the street in our, in our front room. She walked up to the front window, and she looked out, and she, she kind of paused and said, The snow is white. It falls down softly. She, at, in the moment... She sang a snow song. It was like out of her heart came the snow ballad of the elves of Middle Earth. Out of her, and I saw it happen. And I, I, you know, I think that maybe we were born with the ability to do this, and it's wildly underutilized or not utilized at all. And this is a radically different example, but I think even uh, the ability that, that people can cultivate to freestyle in the hip-hop world, that they can make up like 
complicated, amazing rhymes and structures in the moment. I think they're drawing on this ability that maybe is in you and me. But I think it's part of the evidence that, that this is real. And you find this in Scripture that sometimes something remarkable happens and a man or a woman in the moment will sing a substantive, thought-out song. This is uh, the passage about Mary's song. Uh, we call it the Magnificat because in the Latin translation of the Bible, that would be the first word. That would be that verb of my soul magnifies the Lord. But, but this is Mary's song, and, and it's, it's coming on the heels of Mary being told by the angel Gabriel that you're going to give birth to a son. And I mean, she, she is getting radical news. She can't have a sophisticated knowledge yet of who she is or who her son will be, but she's at least been told he will sit on the throne of his father David. He is the Messiah. He's the Lord. Uh, he will save his people. You're to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. So she at least knows that. And she knows that even though she's a virgin, not yet married to Joseph, that God is going to, Gabriel says, he'll overshadow you. And you, you'll, you'll have this child. And so on the heels of that and on the heels of seeing this, this family member, she, uh, she sings this song. One other thing, and I'll read the passage. Uh, you know, th th there's so many mental pictures I feel like I have to overcome because as I talk about Mary, you're picturing a woman and it's more likely that Mary, if she had been in our community, would be in our high school group. And what I'm nervous about saying to you is that she may have been in the middle school group. But she's just a little girl, young girl, and she's even going to refer to herself in terms of being a peasant, uh, a slave girl. But uh, this is a song that really has... has had a big place in Christian worship through history. We probably are underusing it in our own community. But I want to look at this song. So Luke 139, we'll begin with right after she gets the news and makes her way to see family and then the song. Luke 139. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And that baby is John the Baptist. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, worship. Thank you that we can come together and we can pray with each other. We know that we can do that by ourselves or with two or three, but thank you that in this room with lots more, we can pray and speak your Word. We can sing. We can greet one another. We can gather around your table. But thank you that in a particular way right now we can feed from your word. And we need it. We pray that you would make us lie down by waters of rest. That you'd make us lie down in green grass. And that you would calm our souls. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope I say this enough, but, you know, as a pastor, there's some real privileges that I get and uh, Jonathan and Adam get as, as pastors, and very thankful for those. And um, I, could, I could list a bunch, getting to baptize people, uh, whether that's an adult or a child, getting to serve the Lord's Supper and people, see people's faces up close. And it's funny, different ones of you do different little rituals when you take the Lord's Prayer. You may not even know it. Your, your face does something or your hand does something, and I, I love it. Um, I love getting to, to see a, a bride and groom up close when I do a wedding. You have the best seat in the house when you, when you do the wedding. Let me tell you, though, uh, a sad thing that, that I've seen more than I wish as a, as a pastor. And, uh, and I'm drawing on years as I say this because this has to play out, but Sometimes you'll see boys and girls that really love to sing. Uh, most boys and girls love to sing, love to sing songs. And uh, even love to sing songs about God or the Bible. And I don't know what the level of understanding is with each child, but they love to sing songs about God. Um, but, but more often than I wish, the you, boys and girls, and, and I think for me I notice the boys more. They get a little bit older, and they're watching maybe older brothers, but they definitely watch dads or men that they like, and they're watching them, and, and maybe they're not seeing them sing, and, and, and this frost sort of starts to develop over their hearts about singing. And they get older, become young men, and become men. And at some point, that, that covering of frost just turns into ice. It can. And it might be the ice of, you know, I, I just, I work all the time. And I thought after working so hard and being in my 40s and my 50s, I'd have more to show for it. And I just feel like I'm grinding all the time. Um, I had this picture of how it would be. I had this picture of how my life would be whether that's single or married or whatever. And it's just not like that. Uh, I had a picture of how I'd feel. 
or what I'd have or what I'd have the freedom to do. Or maybe just church just doesn't do it for me anymore. And it's like this, this cake of ice covers their insides and they don't sing anymore. And what I want to say to you is, uh, well, let me tell you what I don't want to say to you. What I don't want to say to you is, well, listen, we need to sing. <laughs> should doesn't have a lot of motivating power. Agreed? You know, we should eat better. We should get more sleep. We should do this and we should do that. We should exercise. And, but should just doesn't have a lot of motivating power. So I don't want to throw a big should at you. I want to see how this passage maybe is helpful to, to help us sing. And, uh, and I want to say this. I know that Mary has an extre- I mean, <laughs> extremely italicized, bold, underlined, unique role in the Bible. I, I'm not saying that, that our experience in a lot of ways is going to be similar to Mary. She's the mother of God incarnate. And we can say that because she is. But what I want to say is the song she sings is not about her unique role. She sings a song about God. And that is a song that we can sing. So let's see what she, what she sings, this, this, this young woman, girl, what she sings. And I, I'm going to, there's, there's so much here. There, there is so much of the Old Testament here. It's, uh, different commentators said things like it's a collage or a pastiche of this passage, that passage that must have been in her from all those years of synagogue and family. And it comes out in this song. But let me, let me look at three things. First, my God blesses me. Second, my God reverses. And I'm, I'm looking forward to telling you about that one in particular. My God blesses me, my God reverses, and my God remembers. So let's look at the first one. My God blesses me. Let's just, okay, I'm going to hit this head on. There's kind of some baseline nervousness with Protestants about liking Mary too much. And, you know, I, and I've never thought about this until this week. I, like, I know of at least one Presbyterian church in our denomination, very Protestant, that is named St. Paul. Presbyterian church. There are probably some others. There might, there might be, I know, I know of a new St. Peter's. There might be a St. John. But if, if we named a church St. Mary, I think people would kind of go, hey, 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 hey. Easy. And, I, you know, there's some background to that, obviously. But I want, you to, I want you to think about what has led up to this passage and what happens in the passage. Before we get to this passage, the angel Gabriel, in fact, the archangel Gabriel, who is, uh, let's just say, he is imposing enough and actually possesses God-given power enough that to Mary's uh, relative Elizabeth, her husband, when her husband met Gabriel and didn't initially believe and respond well to what Gabriel had to say, Gabriel struck him speechless. He said, I stand in the presence of God. Uh, when Gabriel comes to Mary, the way he greets her is, Greetings, favored one. You are favored by the Lord and blessed. Look at what Elizabeth says 
when Mary, and, and there's, this, there's this beautiful thing. It says that when Mary came to Elizabeth's home, it's Elizabeth and Zechariah's home, that she greeted. It says it three times that she greeted. So apparently Mary got close, and maybe before she even walked in the house, she, I don't know what she was saying, but maybe, Shalom, may the Lord bless you. And as soon as that happened, things, things began to be said that maybe weren't even planned on. But one of the things that Elizabeth says, look in verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And listen to this. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then in verse 45. Blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Look at what Mary says in verse 48, the second part. Behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now, when you say you're blessed, you're speaking in the passive. I don't bless myself. Elizabeth doesn't bless Mary. Gabriel, strictly speaking, doesn't bless Mary. But everybody says, even Mary herself, about herself, I'm blessed. What does that mean? I'm acted upon by God. Now, a couple of things here. Number one, just so that we keep our Protestant sensibilities here. And it's not about being Protestant. I want to keep biblical sensibilities. We don't venerate Mary. Look at what she says in verse 48. Excuse me, 47. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, Savior and salvation can have different connotations in the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. It can mean salvation from physical enemies, you know, oppressors or people that will come attack you. But when an angel has just said to you or to your husband, this child is to be named Jesus because he'll save their people from their sins. When you say that I rejoice in God, my Savior, guess what you're identifying yourself as? A sinner who needs saving. Mary's words about herself. Now, we don't venerate Mary, but what I want to hear is Mary saying, God blesses me. And you don't have to be the carrier of God incarnate to say that. She's drawing on worlds of Scripture where it's celebrated that God loves to bless people. Uh, here's where I want to start this morning. Do you know that it is the disposition of God to bless people. And I, I don't know if what I'm maybe challenging in you is something that you've been taught that was not great teaching, or maybe you had great teaching, but just your, your natural disposition is to think that He is against you. It is the nature of God to bless. And it's interesting that as you keep going in the New Testament, well, let's just say in the Gospels, when Mary's son goes public in his ministry, what we call the Sermon on the Mount, guess how his public ministry starts? He could have said anything he wanted to. He could have chewed out all the people who are getting it wrong. And do you know how he starts, really, his public ministry? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. Blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be satisfied. That's the opening shot of her son's ministry. Uh, when her son sends out the apostles, and even the latter apostle, Paul, he'll write people and he'll say, blessed. Blessed be our God and Father who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I, here's where I want to start. It is the nature of God and what He likes to do is bless. Like where you feel actually, not just in your soul, even like in your physical existence, that He is for you. That He does not want to curse. So she says, I'm blessed. Not hashtag blessed. Blessed by the living God. Second, my God reverses. Now, first off, again, I, I wanna, I'm trying to challenge a lot of mental pictures that we may, we may not even know that we have because in a lot of art, she looks, well, first, like, she's from Illinois. She's not from the Middle East. And she looks about 30, and she's, like, kind of, like, beautiful tunic, beautiful Middle Eastern garb or whatever. And it, it's just very clear she's a slave girl. In fact, that was the, that's the parting note when Gabriel talks to her. She doesn't understand how all this is going to work. And by the way, something to keep in mind during Christmas, when you're told that you're going to have a baby and you haven't yet been married and you're a devout Jew, do you understand what that might mean for you? She doesn't know how this is all going to shake out. Like, that carried the death penalty. And for the man, too. She doesn't know how all this will work out, but she says, May it be to me as the Lord has spoken. I'm the Lord's, and there's different translations for this, but she says, I'm the Lord's slave girl. And how does she talk about herself here? Verse, uh, verse 48, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. When she says humble estate of His servant, she's not like being the wonderful person who's saying, Yeah, you know, I just really want to be a servant. She sees herself as a servant. Like she was the kind of person that someone could say, hey, clean up the ashes from the morning fire, and then after that I'll tell you what to do. And she would say, yes, sir. So that's Mary's perception of herself. So why is that advantageous? Why for Mary does she think, not that it's great to be poor, but how does that give me the advantage? Look in verse 51. He, that's God, the song is about God, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, I want you to know this. This is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke loves to highlight this. He loves to highlight that in the kingdom of God, things are topsy-turvy. And God takes the rules of the world, and in his kingdom, he reverses them. So that if you're a big shot, and you're important, and you've got plenty, and you're loaded, that you are lowered. And if you are low, and you lack, and you're sad, and you're hungry, that, and you're weak. He exalts you. Listen, listen to what her son is going to say in Luke just a few chapters later. 
Blessed are you who are hungry now. You shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. For you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Now does Mary say when or does Jesus say exactly when? No, they don't identify exactly when or exactly how. But what is Mary singing about? I'm a little slave girl. I don't even understand what this angel has just said to me. But here's what I know. That God can knock down the important. And she had a history of scriptures to know, like particular examples. He can knock down the important. He can knock down Rome when he's ready. But he can lift up those who are low. Jesus says not once but twice in Luke, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. How important do you want to be? Or if you have children, or if you have grandchildren, how much money do you want them to have? We are wearing ourselves out to get into homes and spaces where Mary could never live. And the end game of the Christian life is not be like Mary. But do you understand that the trajectory is the more you have, the better you feel, the happier and more charmed your life is, the less you need God. And what Mary is singing about is, my God sees those who are crushed. My God sees those who are poor. My God sees those who are weak. And even in little old me, he is going to exalt the lowly. And it delights her. And I don't want to read into this something that's not there, but based on her familiarity with Scripture, I have to believe that Mary understood. He won't just do that for me. He'll do that all over the world. By the way, where is the church flourishing globally? Is it where global affluence is concentrated? It's where people are poor. And so she sings. But she also sings this, my God remembers. Look in verse 54, and wow, this, you talk about a lot of Old Testament theology in two verses, verses 54 and 55. He, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, he remembers, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Forever. There's so much I want to say here, but let me, let me just put it this way. Mary, if she wanted to, and this very much ties into last week and the, and the sermon before that. I hope all the sermons tie together really now that I think about it, but for what it's worth, I think, I think on this point it really ties in that Mary could have just looked around and, and just said, I, 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 we have no money. By the way, one way you can know that is when Joseph and Mary, when, when Jesus was born, and when he's eight days old and they present him at the temple, there's actually in the law of Moses a provision that if you have a baby boy, you, you make this uh, kind of redemption payment 
for him. And here's what you normally bring, but if you don't have enough money for that, then you bring this. But if you don't have the money, the money for either one of those, then, then bring two doves. If you're poor, bring two doves. Joseph and Mary brought two doves. She could have looked around in her life and just said, Joseph doesn't make much money. It's just always going to be like this. And we'll, we'll have our lives, but we'll scrape by and Rome, Rome will control our lives. And she looked past what was visible and said, my God remembers the fact that I have not known my husband and I now carry a child. Here's what that means. That when God said particular things to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we may have forgotten, he remembers. If we've changed, he hasn't. And she sings. Now, uh, what about us? And here's what I want you to think about, and then we're closed. I'll close. It, it snowed and iced two weeks ago. So it was, sun, it was two Sundays ago that we had to cancel worship because of snow and ice. And just out of curiosity, I checked this this morning. I drove past the downtown grocery store. I drove past the downtown Publix. And do you know that there are still piles of ice? There was a big one up till a few days ago. I think they just obliterated it with a bulldozer. But even after doing that, still in just in at least a couple of corners, there's still piles of ice. It's been two weeks. Some days it's been in the 60s with full sun. What does that tell you? You know, if you pile enough snow and ice, you can just put direct sun right on it. It can get up in the 50s. It can get up in the 60s. And it won't melt yet because there's so much of it. That's what our insides can be like. Just church doesn't do it for me. And maybe I kind of start to not only admit that, but maybe I kind of start to like it. That maybe it's a way for me to be sort of other in the churchy south and to not be a lemming following along behind all my church going friends, that I, I just, I don't know about it. There's this ice. Or, you know what, it, the Bible says that God is in control, and, uh, and Christians get together and we sing and we teach about it like God is totally in control, but, you know, if God is completely in control, why would he let this friend of mine have cancer? Or why would he have this person that I love die? So what about that? Or, you know, I, I don't ask a lot, and I try to help people all the time, but there was this one thing I wanted in my life, and I almost got there, and he took it from me. And I wasn't asking for the moon. I wasn't asking to be a millionaire. But I wanted that, and he won't let me have it. And there's all this ice there. And it, here's, here's what I want to say. Do you understand that it takes day after day after day after day after day and month after month of the light and the warmth of who God is to shine on our insides to melt us. 
And are you that person this morning that like, yeah, I mean, I know I should love God, or I know I should obey God, or I know I should pursue God, or I know whatever, that you should, I should, I should, I should, but we're not. I can't melt that in you, and you can't melt that in you. Discipline will not melt it in you. Work will not melt it in you. Family will not melt it. Family might cake on more. I love family. But there's a lot of pain in family. Christmas will not melt it. The only thing that can melt our insides is the glory and the goodness, the truth and the beauty of who God is. And there is no greater example than that baby she's carrying. He's born to live and to die. And he's the one guy who deserves not to die. And he dies so that we will not ultimately die. And he's raised so that we will be raised. And that's God saying, I love to bless people. And I'm, there will be a great reversal. Are you sad? Is your heart broken? One of these days, I'm going to give you joy, and I'm going to, I'm going to break sadness's heart. I'm going to reverse everything. And I will remember. I will remember. I will come for you, and all the promises I've made, I will remember and fulfill. May God bless you with his word and warm our insides and melt the ice and draw a song out of us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, to, to we who are seated in this room where there is marriage difficulty, addiction, depression, financial setbacks, anxiety, struggle, cynicism, disconnects with church or Bible or prayer. Lord, for us, would you now radiate your light that you're the blessing God and reversing God remembering covenant-keeping God and change us from the inside out and draw a song out of us unto you. We ask in Christ's name, amen.